Fast Ball Show, MTR Radio Networks, John Pielli. Uh, I do want to thank you. Great, great first hour. We spoke to Mark Brewer. We spoke to Justin Miller. In a little bit, we're going to try to reach out to Gavin Sacchini, who was the Mets' first-round draft pick in the 2012 draft. But um, I'm going to start out with a little bit because we're, we're, we've been talking Mets. We're going, to, we're going to stick to it. And then I'm going to probably finish off on my rant about, you know, PEDs and the stuff going on with whether it's Kurt Schilling, you know, accusing the Red Sox of trying to throw steroids on him or, you know, uh, Ryan Braun. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But I do want to get into this because uh, obviously there's been a lot of talk about the Mets' interest in free agent outfielder Michael Bourne. And I think this is – listen, we've had this discussion before of whether he's a good fit, whether he's not a good fit. I think if you're looking for a premier outfielder, you know, a, a franchise type of outfielder, Michael Bourne is not your answer. And I think that's where a lot of fans get upset. That's where a lot of fans have their issues. That's where fans say, listen, why take this guy? But I think you have to look at it from the point of view of what organization it is here. What team do you got here? You're dealing with the New York Mets, a team that has no outfield. I'm not going to get into my no outfield rant again, but, you know, you have to look at, a move like a Michael Bourne. You sign Michael Bourne. Let's say you're whatever team. You have to compare about compare how much he makes you better, and how much how how well you'll be if you don't have him. And I think that's why this makes perfect sense for the New York Mets. I know there's been a lot of people that disagree with it. There's a lot of people say, why would you want to spend any money on Michael Bourne? He relies on his legs. He strikes out too much. Uh, He's not going to turn the Mets into a winner. The Mets aren't a contender this year. But here's the way I I, I have to deal with it. And you look at teams. Teams stink all the time. There's teams that aren't good, whether they're the Mets of 2013 or the Astros Oils or whatever team that you talk about that isn't any good. They still are a Major League Baseball team. And this is where I disagree with some people. This is where I I get on people for making, in my opinion, stupid comments because any Major League Baseball team, and I'll stick to baseball. I'm not going to talk about any other sports right now. When it comes to baseball, there is competitiveness and there is fielding a team of Major League Baseball players. And sometimes you're not going to be competitive. Sometimes the other team is just better than you. Sometimes the other teams in your division are a lot further along than your major league team that you got right now. Sometimes you look at your team and you say, hey, a couple players we got in the minor leagues are going to help us out in the future when we get a little better. But they still, in my opinion, have the right to put out the best major league team possible. And that means filling your roster with major league players. And I've said before, the New York Mets do not have a major league outfield. The closest major league outfielder they have is Lucas Duda, who some teams could deal with out there. But their other two outfield spots are not held by major league baseball players. And if you put Kirk Neuenheis in center and Mike Baxter and Colin Calgill in right, you're doing a disservice, not just to the fans, not just to the fans, but to the rest of the major league. The rest of Major League Baseball is going to look and say, listen, if, if, if you know, I'm a minor league player and was in a New York Mets organization, I'd have a better chance to be playing right now, even though I don't belong in the Major Leagues. And that's what I have a problem with. So I think when it comes down to Michael Bourne, 
I think if you could get the terms reasonable, three years, you know, you're looking ten to thirteen million a season, something like that. To me, that's a reasonable contract for a guy who's thirty years old and relies on it solely on his legs and defense. And you know what? He makes the Mets better. Doesn't make the Mets a postseason contender. Doesn't make the Mets a playoff team. But assists in the process of putting a major league team on the field. And the Mets, whether they lose 100 games this year, whether they finish 500, whether they do even better than that, have the right, not just to the fans, but to Major League Baseball to put a professional baseball team on the field. And right now, the Mets outfield is like the majority of the Houston Astros team. And it's not Major League caliber. Nobody's going to object or nobody's going to fight with the fact that the Houston Astros signed Carlos Pena. They didn't sign Carlos Pena for, to be to be the DH of a team that they expect to go to the playoffs. They signed him to fill a spot on a team. And if the Astros could sign Carlos Pena to fill a spot on a Major League Baseball team, the Mets can do the same with Michael Bourne. And like I said, you want to factor in, you know, how much money he's going to make, yada, yada, yada. You want to get into, you know, listen, they're not going to give him five years. They're not going to forfeit their first round draft pick unless they get an absolute steal of a deal. I understand all that. I think those are things worth considering. And then you look at the bottom factor and you say, hey, this guy is not Jacoby Ellsbury. This guy is not Josh Hamilton. This guy is not Justin Upton. And we all understand that. And while Michael Bourne would not have been a fit for the Philadelphia Phillies, or Michael Bourne might not have been a fit for the New York Yankees, teams that were better, teams that have better players in the outfield. And in the Yankees' case, uh, a guy like Brett Gardner is probably close enough to Michael Bourne that you don't have to go out there and commit the years and the money to get him. But for a team like the New York Mets, he's a fit. I think he's a fit. Am I going to be all gaga and freaking crazy and loving the signing of Michael Bourne? No, I'm not going to go nuts over it. I don't plan on going crazy over it. I don't plan on getting my Michael Bourne number 20. You know, I don't think he's going to wear 24 because of Willie Mays, but, you know, this number nine jersey. I'm not going to go out there and go crazy over it, but I do think that the Mets should upgrade their team. They should upgrade their outfield. They don't have major league outfielders. Sandy Alderson said that before after the season ended. So I think the best suitable option would be Michael Bourne on a reasonable deal. If you want to go two, three years, you want to you want to protect the first round draft pick. If you're able to do that, you know, good for you. I give you credit as an organization if you do that. And a couple guys that I compared him to in in the past, you've seen the Mets made a couple bad moves for similar type of players before. But I think it's a chance worth taking. You know, Vince Coleman. You look at the career he had with the St. Louis Cardinals before he signed a free agent contract with the New York Mets. He, he was great. Led the league in stolen bases every year. Was the premier leadoff man while, while Tim Raines still played and Ricky Henderson still played. He was up there. But once he joined the Mets, listen, he missed more as many games, if not more, than he played. Injuries killed him. His legs deteriorated. He wasn't the greatest... Uh, he wasn't the nicest guy off the field. He wasn't a role model. Everything failed for the guy. Another guy, Roger Cedeno, who had a great season in 1999 with the New York Mets, stealing 66 bases, second only to Tony Womack. 
was traded as part of the deal that got the Mets Mike Hampton, which, in, in my opinion, that was one of the better trades the Mets have made. Comes off a season of 55 steals with the Detroit Tigers before he signs as a free agent before the 2002 season. A three-year contract. Or I believe it was a four-year contract. And obviously he didn't live up to his end of the bargain. They played him in center field. They moved, you know, they played him, I think, in left field the first year. They moved him to center his second year. And by years three and four, he was gone. They traded him to the St. Louis Cardinals. That was another example of a deal like that not working out. And that brings, obviously, begs the question with the, with the Mets. Should they get Michael Bourne? Or are they getting another Vince Coleman or Roger Cedeno? I think that's something that has to be thought about. But in this particular instance, the Mets aren't adding Michael Bourne to win this year. While the Mets in 1991 were adding Vince Coleman to kind of counteract the loss of Darryl Strawberry a little bit, throw sprinkle in a little Hubie Brooks. Obviously, the 2002 Mets were a win or win or bust team after a disappointing 2001 season, the 2002 season, to losing the 90-plus games. Bobby Valentine gets fired. Steve Phillips is gone the next year. This was obviously a winner-now type of situation. This is not with the New York Mets right now. And that's why I think Michael Bourne makes more sense than it would have if you were talking about a Cedeno in 2002 or a Coleman in 91. And I think that gives the opportunity that if it doesn't work out, yes, you know the Mets organization will take some criticism. Sandy Alderson will take some heat. But in the end, I, I still think this is a move that yeah, kind of is foolproof a little bit I really do think it is so we're going we're gonna to try to get into our next phone call here and then we're going to finish off the program talking a lot of peds and then we'll open up the phone lines in a little bit we'll try to get some of your point of view some of your opinion right here on the past ball show right here on the MTR radio network and right now we're trying to get a hold of Mets first round draft pick of 2012 Gavin Sakini, and I just want to make sure I got his number in right. We're going to give him a call right now. We'll see how this ends up turning out. Just like always, I love dialing out, and we'll see how it works out. Once again, Gavin was drafted number 12 overall by the New York Mets in the 2012 season. So, you know, you see he's working out. Let's see if he's done with it, and, you know, hopefully he'll join the program. If not, obviously we'll try to ring him back in a little bit. But, um, find out in about a second or two right at the tone please yeah so we'll have to give him a call back but we're going to move right on into what i think is honestly i don't think it's that much of a disgrace what's going on honestly if you talk about the peds and baseball and stuff like that the stuff going you know involved in that I, i don't think it's as much of a disgrace as people are making it out to be i just think it's the revelation of what's really going on and when we talk about Ryan Braun being brought up in this thing going on in Florida, or Alex Rodriguez, or Melky Cabrera, Bartolo Colon, Yasmin Grandel, all those guys that are involved in it, Francisco Savelli, Danny Valencia. You know, this this isn't a black guy on baseball. This is the continuing black guy that has gone on for the last several years. This is something that has changed. It, it, I mean, in my opinion, actually, it hasn't changed. You see, you're seeing something that's evolving. The drug testing is getting tougher. You know, you got the blood tests with the HGH and everything going into this season, which I think is a great step for baseball. The penalties that are enforced for a first-time offender, a second-time offender, I think are good for the game. 
But let's be honest. Let's let's not go out here like we're some crazy people thinking that this stuff isn't going on. Don't think that we've gotten to the root of the baseball steroids problem because it's not it hasn't gone away and we don't need to see the clinics that are being closed in Florida to remind us about what's going on in a game. I mean, I just look at it. I mean, it, to me to me it's it, it's a shame because you know, we're going out there, we're trying to say that the problem in with steroids and baseball and PD is the whole thing. You're telling me that this stuff has been solved. It hasn't. Do you need Ryan Braun's name and Alex Rodriguez's name coming up in the clinic in Florida to reinforce that to you, to remind you that that's a, a continuous problem? In my opinion, no. In my opinion, no. You, you see what's going on. I've talked about the chemist. We've gotten into this all day about the chemist always being one step ahead of the curve when it comes to these players. And in my opinion, I think this is a situation where the chemist always got, they got the edge. They really, I think it's, I think it's, you know, unfortunate the way things have gone with this. And I think the chemists obviously have one step or one step ahead of the curve when it comes to, you know, the, the, the problems going on in Major League Baseball. At the tone. And I, I just don't see it getting any better. The chemists are out there, whether they're in Florida, whether they're in California, whether they're overseas, doing whatever. They are creating chemicals that are less and less detectable. And tell me the players aren't using them. And let's get into Ryan Braun for a second. Here's a guy that went up there, and honestly, his his speech that he had in the middle of the field last season, last year about this time, honestly is going to be mocked out for years to come. <laughs> and if anybody back then thought that he wasn't doing steroids or PEDs or something, testosterone, HGH, you're probably convinced of that right now. And his name surfaces in this thing over in Florida. And, you know, let's be honest, some time might go by. Every player out there is trying to discredit this whole thing. They all got an excuse of why their name was mentioned there and, you know, how it wasn't, you know, wasn't good. Listen, I, I think it's absolutely going on. And you can't deny the fact that these guys are still using. And Ryan Braun... Once he got caught the first time, he gets out on that technicality, which I thought was a joke. I honestly think that, you know, from Major League Baseball to the arbitrator to everybody that's involved in it, in my opinion, it's an absolute joke that he was able to not be suspended when he tested positive for testosterone, which other players have been suspended for. So I have a problem with that. I actually... Let's be honest. If you heard me before, I don't have a problem with players doing steroids. I just have a player. I have, I have a problem with players, uh, you know, all of a sudden turning and saying they didn't do it when they're doing it. Just admit what you're doing. I mean, does Ryan Braun really think that uh, he's going to save himself? Does he think in about you know ten, twelve, fifteen years that he's going to get into the Hall of Fame? 
Dude, he's a steroid user. Whether it's HGH, testosterone, whatever, he's using. His MVP season of 2011 was under the influence of a higher level of testosterone. Which should he should have gotten suspended for. So then you move in to one more season where he backs up the season he just had. And fans, people that cover the Brewers and Major League Baseball are all looking back and saying, wow, this guy stopped using the testosterone and he's putting up the same kind of numbers. Maybe he was telling the truth. And honestly, anybody that believes that is a freaking idiot. He's using something that was not being detected. And you find out, and hopefully they get more information, more specifics about what the players were using and weren't using at the clinic down in Florida. I hope they raid this thing. I hope they they get down to the bottom of it. And it's not because I'm an anti-steroids guy. It's just because I want these guys to be proven the liars that they are. Why is it that every single time a player is mentioned with steroids, every time a player is 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 using steroids is called we're using steroids, there's always some kind of excuse. And they're always trying to figure out, uh, what can I say that'll win over the court of public appeal or opinion? And they're always looking at they're always looking to change what the public thinks about them. But what they don't realize, and maybe maybe they're that naive, and everybody knows and everybody realizes what kind of liar that they really are. And in my opinion. The court of public opinion should never change when it comes to these players. And and I think it's a joke. I really do. I think it's not, not the fact that these players are using, but the fact that they always have to put these denials. They have to go out there and come up with this crazy story of why they're linked to this clinic, why they're linked to this guy that provides steroids, why they're linked to that criminal, to that chemist, to that person. And I have a problem with it. I really do. That's what bothers me. It's not the fact that these guys are using steroids. It's the fact that they are trying to create this crazy opinion that people are not using. And we're going to put that on hold. We're going to welcome in our next guest is Mets 2012 first round draft pick, Gavin Sakini. Gavin, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes, buddy. Yes, sir. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Yeah, sorry, man. I tried good. to reach out to you a couple times, man. I, I, I guess you, you didn't get the different number that I was calling you from. <laughs> that's fine, man. That's fine. Now, that's cool, man. Listen, first of all, how, how's everything going? You know, you're obviously getting ready for spring training. How's the off-season program going as you're getting ready for the 2013 season? Um, it's Everything's going great, man. Uh, I feel, you know, better than I've ever felt before. You know, I feel really solid, feel strong, feel quick, feel fast. Uh, me and my brother and uh, another first-rounder that plays for the Padres, Jace Peterson, and then another guy that signed for over a million in the Yankees organization, Corman Angelini. Uh, we're all working out together. We have our own personal trainer, uh, a guy named Barry Painter at Unique Fitness. Uh, he's really well-known, and uh, he, he does a great job. And 
uh, we're all getting results, and uh, uh, you know, I, I feel definitely, you know, great. Been hitting, taking ground balls every day. You know, long tossing, swimming, doing whatever I can to put myself, you know, in the best position uh, to succeed you know, for this upcoming season. So. Yeah. Now, now listen, man. As as you're as you're coming through, man, you feel like you feel any added pressure the fact that you were a first round draft pick last year, that you have to get to a certain level of success, or are you able to just no, kind of go out there and do your know, thing? Yeah, man. No, no, not at all, man. I just I'm I'm that type of player where I'm I'm nice and easy going, you know. And when it's game time, you know, I'll, I'll have fun, I'll joke around with you, but when it's game time, you know, I'm rock, uh, you know, locked and uh, ready to go and. Uh, and I feel no pressure, you know. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, being a first rounder, you know, uh, I, I um, you know, accomplished that. That was one of my goals, and now I have more goals that I want to accomplish in pro ball. And uh, you know, I, I feel that I'm just like, you know, I'm anxious and ready to go, and I'm I'm ready to succeed, you know. And uh, there's no, you know, and no doubt in my mind, you know, I, I don't I don't really I'm a positive guy, you know. I I I'm, I think positive because I. The way I was brought up uh, and raised is you think negative, nothing comes out, you know, nothing comes out, good, nothing good comes out of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I I, I'm just, I have a positive mindset and uh, just go out there and, you know, put, play hard. You know, I, I've, you know, you go out and you work hard like I'm doing. You know, I feel that no one's working harder than me in the off season. No one. And uh, I'm busting my, you know, butt, you know, 24/7. And whenever you feel that way, and whenever you work that hard, you know, you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna succeed. And you know, and that's what you got. That's that's the mindset you got to have. And uh, you know, once you once you start thinking negative, and you start thinking that you're gonna fail, then you're gonna fail, and you've already lost. So uh, I keep that winning attitude, and you know, always stay positive, and knowing just go out there, and you know that you worked your butt off to where you've gotten and where you want to be to accomplish your goals you know nothing can stop you and uh you know that's that's my mindset and i just go out there and play hard and let everything take care of itself so no no question man and i'll tell you you know if you're you know those of you listening obviously are going to get inspired because you know the energy you bring obviously you're out there going for it and honestly i think the hard work's going to end up paying off you know, tell us a little bit about this past season. You you got a chance to play for Kingsport for most of the year. Got a little cup of coffee towards the end with Brooklyn. Tell us a little bit about your first professional season and in, in, uh you know as a professional baseball um, player. You know what, man? It was it was great. It was a great first season. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, you know, I missed the first six six games of the season. Uh, you know, when I my senior season, uh, you know, I had some tight hamstrings and so. Uh, my agent told me just to lay off for a couple games, and I was ready to go. Had a great season, you know. Got drafted by the Mets, uh, and you know I didn't see you know live pitching for about you know two months after the high school season, going into pro ball. So my timing was a little off in Kingsport at the beginning of the season, and it took me a little bit to you know get ready and get the feel of it. Then uh, you know I started hitting a hot streak. I started feeling it. Started feeling good. You know I got up to around like 286. Uh, my batting average, and I was I was feeling, you know, I was leading the team in doubles, and I was fielding really good. And uh, then I happened to uh, get hit by a pitch in my uh, finger, and I fractured my middle finger, and that set me out for, you know, about three weeks to a month. And uh, you know, after that, you know, what I just said, you know, what you guys, you know, see live pitching. Or you know your timing's going to get off a little bit. So after the, after I got my injury, you know I, I went back and they put me in the lineup, 
and uh, and my timing was a little off, but I, I battled, and uh, that was all I can do. And, uh, you know, I, I made what I have. My finger was still hurting a little bit. Uh, it wasn't all the way. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't get the field any. I just DH'd. And so I ended up the season hitting around, you know, 250, which is, you know, not a season that I don't want to have. Some people might say, you know, you had a you had a good season. You know, you, you were doing well before you broke your finger. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the way I think, I think at it is, like, you know, that's not the season that I want to have. You know, I, I have way bigger expectations for myself. And uh, and I want to have, you know, great, great, great stats, be a great team player, be a great role model for the kids, and, and you know, just play the game hard in the right way. And um, I got caught up to Brooklyn, and uh, that was a blast over there, man. Yeah, people are crazy, 12, 15,000 a game. And uh, I didn't get to play much there. I ran a couple bases. Actually started a game uh, once we clinched. Uh, I went 0 for 4. I played good defense, hit the ball hard, you know, two or three times, uh, but didn't manage to get any hits. It didn't fall. But uh, I, I would say my first year, like I said, I mean, it was it was decent. You know, it, it was it was good. Uh, but you know what? I'm, I'm I expect, like I said, I expect better results for myself, and uh, you know that's why I'm working my butt off, and I'm always working my butt off to be the best player I can be, no matter if I'm you know, getting results or I'm not, you know, and so uh, that's what that's what I'm doing, and that's that's what we're all here to do is, you know, succeed, and we love the game of baseball, so. Yeah, no question, and obviously baseball is obviously a big thing in your family with your brother Garen being drafted by the Boston Red Sox. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you two kind of coming up at the same time, you know, both anticipated being drafted and stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with your brother and both of your uh you know, kind of, uh, you know, unity to try to get to the major leagues. Yeah, man, uh, my relationship with my brother is great. Uh, you know, uh, we always help each other out. Uh, you know, of course, he's two and a half years older than me, plays in the Red Sox organization. So I kind of had an edge on all the rest of the players coming into the draft. Uh, you know, I, I learned from his mistakes and also took from what he did really well. And uh, he always gave me feedback on, you know, how to do this, how to do that, you know, and and that. And so uh, he, he's a great player, man. He had two good, two really good seasons uh, his, his first two years uh, for Boston. Uh, he had around 300 both years and uh, had, had a good amount of stolen bases, playing solid third base. Uh, he's a great player and, uh, you know, signed for a, g- a good amount of money out of high school, even knowing he tore his ACL his senior year. Uh, but uh, – you know he's a, he's a great player and we get along great and we talk throughout the season, you know helping each other out and stuff like that. And so we have a we have a great relationship, man. And coming from you know great well, two great parents that I have, you know my dad, he's a high school coach at uh, the high school I went to last year, and you know he succeeds a lot. Already has like five state championships and and you know over 20 players drafted. And he only's been or 30 players drafted. He only he hasn't even been coaching that many years. Uh, and you know he's he's a great everyone you know respects him and you know he respects other people he, he tries to learn from the best and uh you know he gets everything from 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 professional teams you know he'll ask what we're doing in the Mets organization he'll ask what you know my brother's doing in the Boston organization and uh and you know that's why the base their their program over here at Barb High School where he coaches that is is what it is and I also got a cousin uh that plays for the Brewers and the Brewers organization. Josh Prince actually just got put on the 40-man. Oh, nice. And so I just want to congratulate him 
you know, he did really well. He hit like over, like over 400 in the Arizona Fall League and uh, was like second in batting average, and he's doing good. So hopefully he'll get up in the big leagues, you know, after spring training or, you know, September call-up or something like that. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hope it ends up happening. And, uh, you know, once again, you can follow uh, Gavin on Twitter at GavinZacchini2. And, uh, you know, listen, um, what, do you, what do you expect for this season? You expect to uh, – is it something where you, you want to play a full season at a certain level or you just want to let your skills do the talking? What do you expect oh, for the 2013 you season? Know what, you know what, man? The way I look at it is the Mets have a uh, – they have a they have a plan for me. You know they 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 know what they're going to do with me, and it's not for me to decide where I go. All I gotta all all I gotta all I gotta worry about is you know just going out there and uh, you know playing the game hard in the right way and uh, take care of my business. And you know that's I'm a player. You know it's not my job to decide where Gavin Chikini's going to go. You know yeah, would I like to be in a full season? Heck yeah, wouldn't everyone? But you know what? It's not my call and. Uh, it's the Mets. It's it's the Mets decision, and I'm just gonna go out there and you know be a professional, handle my business like a professional, work hard, and you know do the right thing. So, no, nah, no question, man. Now, just one, one question, man. You you healthy? Yo, health's oh, working good. No, you're you're 100 no now, man. I'm 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 happy as can be, man. I'm fired up. You know, I can't wait to get back out there and uh, you know get in baseball. You know, get do play baseball again, man. I really miss it. You know, a lot of people say. Uh, you know, oh man, I can't wait for the season to be over with. You know, I can't wait to just rest. I can't, you know, me is, damn, I can't wait till you know the next season starts with. You know, people tell me take breaks. I'm like, heck no, I want to go to the gym. I want to work out. I want to get in the cages. I want to hit. I want to see a lot of pitch. I want to feel ground ball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear I'm you, that type of person, you know, that type of player where I never stop. I, I'm always trying to get better and you know just have that positive attitude. So. Yeah, no question, man. Now, one last question before I let you go, man. Do you see yourself as as a shortstop in the future? You, no uh, doubt, you man. take it all no, the way to majors. No doubt, I see, no, no doubt I see myself, nice. you know, as a shortstop in the future. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of people that say, you know, all these things that they, you know, want to say about people, and most of them didn't even, you know, play baseball in their whole entire life, you know. And uh, I, I, no doubt, I see myself as a shortstop in the future. You know, I have. You know, most more confidence than you'll see in any player. You know, and myself, and uh, I, I, I know, no doubt that you know I'll be a shortstop in the future. So, nah, that's awesome, man. Listen, I love the intensity, man. I think the listeners get a really good feel of what you're about, Gavin. And uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you continue to work as hard as you've been working, and the path takes you to the major leagues. We'll see you at City Field soon. Thanks a lot for the time, yes, buddy. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, and God bless. Yeah, God bless you too, man. Take care. All right. Thank you. And it's Gavin Sakini, Mets first round draft pick, number twelve overall in the two thousand twelve draft. Yeah, and honestly what, what I love about that spot right there is this guy's confidence. And if you're a Mets fan, obviously you you're 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 upset, you're you're not you're not happy with maybe you're happy with the direction the team is going, but you're not necessarily happy with the what the immediate future looks like. And I think you you want to obviously be excited about the future. And obviously, when Gavin goes out there and puts up some numbers, you know he's going to back up what he says. And I think that's going to be great. And I, I really think I really think it with that attitude, the way he works out, the you know the way he's getting himself ready. You know, if this guy's healthy, I think he's going to be all right. And there's people that have criticized that you know taking him with the number twelve pick overall. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with that. You know, knocking him for being taken in that spot. 
I think this this guy does have the tools to be a major league shortstop someday. The unfortunate thing is that we can't really tell at this level and at this current time. And that's what kind of bothers me. But listen, we're going to take a quick break. You know, only you know about a minute or two. We'll be right back with a lot more on a passball show after this. having some time to uh, be part of the program today. Hopefully I can speak to you sometime in the near future. Hey, anytime. I love talking baseball. Uh, thanks a lot, Bill. And once again, that was former Major League pitcher Bill Gullickson. Of course, Bill played from 1979 to 1994 with, uh, of course, teams like the Expos, the Reds, the Yankees, some time in Japan with the Tokyo Giants, the Houston Astros, and Detroit Tigers. And one thing that fascinates me about, uh, you know, about um, Bill Gullickson is the fact that you know, he pitched a lot of innings, and he pitched for a long time not being a strikeout pitcher. And I know you look at certain guys that did have that kind of success where they're able to, you know, pitch in the latter part of their career and were strikeout pitchers at the beginning of their career. And that's not the case with Bill Gullick. He came in, you know, his first year. Welcome back, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli filling in, pretty much filling up the rest of the program for you today. Thanks for having some time. appreciate you being part of the program. And I uh, do want to throw up the phone lines out there. You want to call in, I'll give you a little chance, last 20 minutes or so of the program. I think we're going to have some uh, Philly baseball beat, MTR sports report. So just keep your uh, yourself locked into the MTR Radio Network. Hope you've enjoyed the program so far. Good spots by Mark Brewer. Justin Miller, Gavin Sacchini. So, you know, if you want to be part of the program, 609-910-0687. We'll get you up for a little bit. But I do want to continue. You know, I'm pretty much done with the, with the, with the, with the Peds talk. But I do want to bring up what, uh, what happened today or what uh, was reported today, that Kurt Schilling, former pitcher, obviously a Hall of Fame-type pitcher, has had a great career, Arizona, Boston, Philadelphia, the, the ridiculous record in the postseason. And you put that all together, and you got a you got a guy who is pretty on the fringe of being an Hall of Famer, makes accusations, goes out there and says that in 2008 with the Boston Red Sox there was somebody in their club in the clubhouse, it may be one person, two people, or maybe a whole group that were suggesting that he uses performance enhancing drugs to get himself back to the mound. And obviously, those who remember Schilling, they know that he was going through some injury problems there. 2008 ends up being his last season in the major leagues. And Schilling says that he was approached in a group with a bunch of other players by somebody in a clubhouse. Might have been a group of people in a clubhouse. Maybe somebody in the front office. Somebody that had ties and connections to performance-enhancing drugs. And they kind of tried to push it on him. And Schilling says that he made the right decision, decided not to use... And, it, you know, maybe in his own mind, he never even thought about it. But he brings it up now. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I guess you got to try to believe what the guy says. But we all know Kurt Schilling's the kind of guy that goes out there and, you know, does make, you know, is pretty profound in his statements. He's a guy that says stuff that is followed pretty well. I mean, do you believe it? Do you not believe it? I mean, I guess you got to believe it. 
I mean, uh, you obviously can't deny the fact that performance-enhancing drugs are going on in Major League Baseball, and were going on in 2008. So he's talking about the clubhouse situation in Boston. He's talking about uh, being uh, having PEDs pushed on him while he's trying to recover from an arm injury. I, I guess you got to go with it. You got to believe that the guy's going out there and he's telling you the truth, or else why we even waste our time? Why even go out there and say something? I mean, I don't want to even get into the fact that the guy obviously has some financial problems. He has all the money that he put into that video game business or the game or whatever and has it blown up and crashed and go bankrupt in his face. I mean, that's unfortunate. And, you know, obviously, you know, listen, it's, just, it's a situation that just wasn't good for him. I mean, is he thinking that maybe he goes out here and makes these comments and stuff that somebody will ask him to write a book? I don't know. I mean, Kurt Schilling could write a book right now about his life and his baseball career make some money so if it's a matter in my opinion if it's a matter of trying to get go out there and make some money and be part of uh you know get off of the fact that he's bankrupt and is throwing away all his money on a video game investment i mean you know is this a tease for a book i I don't know i mean you got to believe that there's some validity in what he said you gotta you gotta believe there's something involved in it something to a point that would make you think that uh yeah, maybe he, maybe he did have some drugs pushed on him. I mean, how many of us have been, you know, whether in middle school or high school or, you know, even before that when we're in the park, you know, climbing a jungle gym and have somebody, hey, you want to smoke this? Yeah, you know, I'm sure it's a little different. We're talking about marijuana, not, not you know, needles that are going to be injected in your body to make you, you know, gain 100 pounds of muscle. But in my opinion, listen, I think you, I think you got to go with it. I think you know you'd like to see an interview. You'd like to see him be asked a little more in depth about what's going on in that situation. And if if those performance enhancing drugs are involved, you know, was it was it something that he uh, you know was it something that he considered taking? And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the 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 uh, the thoughts go through these players' minds. Whether it's clean as anybody, they could be clean as a whistle. I'm sure that the the thoughts have to go through their mind where they're considering taking something. And in my opinion, in my opinion, I mean these guys these guys have it pushed on them. They have to be considering it at some point. And does that make you a a, a steroid user if you considered it? No. But I'll tell you, if you have to talk about the percentage of players that we're using. You know, let's say it's seventy percent. Let's say it's sixty percent. Whatever, whatever the number is, whatever we settle on. You know, you want to say sixty-five percent. You want to say eighty percent. I don't know. Whatever number we could agree on that you know consists of the players, the amount of players or percentage of players that are using. You know, we'll we'll just agree on that number. But out of the other ones, whether it's thirty percent, forty percent, whatever the percentage of the players that aren't using. If you're going to tell me that close to 100% of that of those players don't at least think about using performance enhancing drugs I think you're crazy and there's players that have never touched anything never will but I'm sure have considered doing it so Kurt Schilling probably in that spot was he was considering using it but he ended up according to him he ended up not doing it uh, of course, his career ended after that season. He never, you know, after 2008, he never pitched in a game again. 
so may have been may have backed up the statement that he was offered PEDs to get back a little quicker, and he decided not to. The fact that he did not resulted in his career ending after that season. So all that being said, listen, it makes sense. The story that he put together, whether it's right, whether it's factual, whether it's fiction, whether it's 100% the truth, backs up what has happened and what he said. So listen, I mean, there's, there's no question that guys are using now. I've said it before. I just hope that, you know, listen, I, I've said all along that I, listen, I'm, I'm over the whole steroids thing in baseball. I'm, such, I'm a baseball fan. I want to watch baseball. I really do. I don't like this soap opera stuff. I don't like this, you know, who's using, who wasn't using, you know, this wild goose chase that would go on. We've got to go back to 1990 and figure out every player they used. It's, uh, you know, something that I, listen, I, I, I don't agree with. I don't agree with the fact that these people are abusing their bodies from that perspective. But I want to watch baseball. I don't want to watch the soap opera shit. I really don't. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. You know, the, this, this goose chase to try to figure out, you know, what players are using now, what players were using it, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. To me, it doesn't matter because most of that stuff can't be proven. So why are we even wasting the time? I understand you're we're in the off season. You know, the diehard baseball fan, the analyst, the guy that goes out there, the historian, the person that focuses on baseball seven days a week, 365 days a year. I understand those people need something to write about. But can't you just find something else? Because to me, it's not baseball. The drug testing's in place. These players are using... They're going to get caught, and I really do believe that. Are you going to catch every single player that's ever used performance-enhancing drugs? No. And I've said on other shows, I've said it in the past, that players are in the Hall of Fame right now. I don't know if it's a player or players that have used performance-enhancing drugs at some point in their life. Because guys like Danny Valencia and Francisco Cervelli were apparently using PEDs. Does it always have to be that guy that's built cock D with the big head and the friggin' bulging biceps? No. Absolutely not. It doesn't work out that way. You, you found guys that are friggin' twigs that are suspended for 50 games. So there's no, there, there's no set criteria of what players are using and what players aren't. And that's why I think this whole discussion is a waste of time. And then hopefully, you know, in four days, when pitchers and catchers report to camp, when they when baseball gets started, they start playing games, the focus could be on that and not all this other bullshit. I don't want to hear about it anymore. And and I, the reason the reason I went on about Ryan Braun before is because I think the guy is an absolute fraud. I really do. You go back about you know five ten years ago. He is Rafael Palmero of that time. He's a guy that's going out there using, and just doesn't have the decency, or respect, or the balls to admit what he's doing. And that bothers me more than anything. Not the fact that he was using, but the fact that he thinks we're all a bunch of idiots. He thinks we're that stupid. He really does. And and I I just don't think it's fair. That you know he, he could go out there and try to convince people because you know are are we we really all that naive 
to listen to a guy who goes over in the middle of Miller Park, stands there by the pitcher's mound with a microphone in front of him, and just like me, goes and tells the world, hey, you know, there's problems with Major League Baseball. You know, I don't like the fact that I, I was scrutinized for a failed drug test and the fact that Major League Baseball isn't micromanaged in the way they're administering the test. It's a bunch of crap. And everybody that went out there and believed that statement and that friggin' elongated waste of a friggin' press conference, it's just a waste of time. And I'm glad his name came up here. And whether he wants to friggin' come up with this stupid story, and let's be honest, the reason it takes the guy two, two days to, to respond to the allegations is because he needs to come up with a story. If he didn't, if he knew right off the bat what he was going to say, he would have gone out there that day and said it. But he had to consult his lawyers. He had to consult his agent, his people, and come up with the right thing to say to get him around this. And he was advised of what he was going to say. You know why he had to be advised? Because he's not telling you the truth. He's not. He's not. He's freaking lying to you. And any fan that goes out there, and I don't care if you... You're the biggest Ryan Braun fan in the world, and you got his Brewers jersey, and you freaking go to every game. He's using performance-enhancing drugs. Just admit that part. We could talk about how good of a player he is. He's great. He was the MVP in 2011. He backed it up with a solid year last year. He did. I'll give him all that. He's a, he's a, he's a very good player. He's one of the top outfielders in the National League, a perennial all-star, an MVP candidate year in and year out. But he's using performance-enhancing drugs. That part, I have to say, because he is. And to me, it's I, I don't I don't like I, I just don't like the fact that this guy is going out there and lying. And if you could criticize Rafael Palmero the way he was criticized for going out there in front of Congress, and if you ever listen to the intro of my show, you hear him say, "I've never used steroids." Period. And then he fails the drug test, he gets suspended, he blames it on Miguel Tejada, and gets you know, you know, essentially uh, blackballed by the Baltimore Orioles. If you're going to get on him so much, then get on another proven cheating liar, and that's Ryan Braun. And I really think you should. Want to want to throw it out there again? I'll give you one more opportunity to call in to the past ball show six zero nine nine one zero zero six eight seven. Got another ten minutes or so to the show, and you know, I want to get off. I don't want to talk about steroids anymore. But reminder, pitchers and catchers reporting in four days. All of a sudden, you're going to see the camp start to form. You know, games are going to start soon. I'm going to be down in Port St. Lucie, Florida, probably sometime in March. We're trying to figure out whether we want to go to the, during the beginning or the end. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. But um, I wrote the other day, we're talking about the 1960, 1971, and 1979 Pittsburgh Pirate teams. And I do want to bring a little historical aspect to the passball show like we do every week. And, you know, we talked last week about the 27 and the 36 Yankees, what team was better offensively. But I do want to bring in some similarities that I think are very interesting in regards to the 19, 1971 and 1979 Pittsburgh Pirate teams. And it's mostly between the 60 and the 71 teams. And obviously, those of who, those of us who, of those of you, obviously not me, who are old enough to remember the 1960 team, remember a team managed by Danny Murtaugh, 
a team that had NL MVP Dick Grote. Bill Verdon was playing center field. Of course, the great Roberto Clemente playing right field. And Bill Mazeroski hitting a home run against the Yankees' Ralph Terry in, in a 60 World Series to win it. And as the team moves on, Danny Murtaugh ends up leaving. He ends up coming back in time to manage the 70 and the 71 teams. And, of course, we all know the story. Or Those of you who don't, I'll tell you the story. Don Hoke, third baseman in a 1960 team, uh, manages in the, in the minors for the Pirates, is expecting to get the job. Danny Murtaugh ends up coming back. Hoke is bypassed and then dies of a heart attack within days of the announcement of Murtaugh being the manager. And of course the other connections, Bill Verdon was was a coach on a 1971 team. He ends up becoming the manager after that season. He takes over for Murtaugh, takes the team to the 1972 NLE's title, takes them back to the playoffs in 72. 73 gets replaced by Murtaugh. And Murtaugh gets him back to the playoffs in 74 and 75 before before he ends up leaving and, of course, his unfortunate death after that. The 1971 team, led by a great the great Willie Stargell, ends up making a Hall of Fame. Al Oliver was part of that team. And then, of course, you go through the 1979 team, where, of course, Clemente's gone, dying of any unfortunate and sad and tragic plane crash after the 1972 season. Of course, you know, was it New Year's Eve, New Year's Day of 1973? One of the sadder moments in the history of baseball. And, of course, Clemente is 3,000 hits. But the team ends up building itself up and down. Stays pretty consistent through the balance of the 1970s with Murtaugh as manager. And, of course, he gets replaced by Chuck Tanner, you know, right, right before or after he died around that time. And Tanner manages a good team, a team that's very consistent over the latter part of the 70s and with Willie Stargell. And, of course, Dave Parker would become part of the 74 and 75 team. And the Pirates end up winning the whole thing in 1979, beating the Orioles, the same team they beat in 1971. And I finished my little post by just mentioning a couple guys that were on the 1960 team as players were not part of the 1971 team, but were part of the 1979 team as coaches. And that was, of course, pitching coach Harvey Haddix and hitting coach Bob Skinner were both part of the 1960 team. So the Pirates, I thought, did a pretty good job, and most organizations do it. Most organizations do a good job when it comes to bringing uh, back former players, bringing back guys that are involved in the, in, in the game with the team. They, they were good players on other teams they bring them back as coaches they let them into the front office and I think it's you know it's in my opinion I think it's a good thing but I think it's good when you look at a team that had a lot of success for a long time and honestly I don't think they get enough credit because from 1960 to 1979 yes there were a couple bad seasons in there and I think it's a situation where this team deserves a little more credit because a lot a lot of a lot of uh, thoughts and things go on and along the lines of the Dodger teams of the 70s, the red, big red machine. You talk about the late 60s and you think of the Cardinals. You think of you know, a lot of good teams around that time frame. 
the emergence of the big red machine, like I just said, the Dodger teams later on. And not enough credit, in my opinion, goes to the Pittsburgh Pirates of the better part of the 20-year period. Managed, of course, by Danny Murtaugh for a good amount of time. But even after Danny Murtaugh's death, you know, they still had some very good teams with Stargell and with Manny Sanguin and with, uh, you know, guys like this ridiculous throwing arm. And me as a younger guy, I end up remembering Dave Parker a little more as a guy that was a DH for teams like Oakland and Milwaukee. But that just shows that, you know, I'm a little younger. You know, older fans would remember Dave Parker as one of the top outfielders in all of Major League Baseball. And he does a he does a phenomenal job for a long time. But I do like those Pittsburgh Pirate teams. I really like looking back and reading about them and you know, just looking at all the guys. I mean, you look at a guy like Al Oliver. You go back to the teams that were there before with Grote and Verdon and, of course, Hal Smith and Smokey Burgess. And if you remember, uh, Don Hoke, Smokey Burgess, and Dick Stewart were all traded from the Cincinnati Reds to the Pittsburgh Pirates in a trade for slugger Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, the third baseman, power hitter, put up some great numbers for a long time for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they traded him to the Reds for really three integral pieces of that 1960 World Series championship team. And sometimes you got to do that. But but I, I'm definitely intrigued by that run, not not just the run of the 60 team, because there's a lot of good stories you could tell, and there's a lot of good references you can make about the 1960 team. But I just like the way they kind of kept it together for a long time. They really did. There was a little gap between the 60 team and the 71 team, the two teams that won the World Series. But after that, after that, they won the NL East in 72 and 74 and 75. And again, of course, in 79 when they end up winning the World Series. But I just think this was a consistent group of players for an extended period of time. And in my opinion, I just think you should take a look at BaseballReference.com and check out the Pittsburgh Pirate teams of, of that era. Because that was probably the best era that they've ever had. You remember the Pittsburgh Pirates? You know of them. World Series championships in 1909, 1923, 1960, 1971, 1979. 60 to 79. They were up there with the best teams in the National League. Want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Pass Ball Show and, of course, longtime pitching coach Mark Brewer. Hope you guys enjoyed the program. We'll jump in there next week. Back with more. Stay tuned in to MTR Radio. And make sure you listen to Philly Baseball Beat coming up next.